everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Debatable with your hosts, Nina and Kyle. I'm Kyle. I'm Nina and hello. We know it's been a while since our last upload and we want to apologize for that. Life just sort of got in the way and it's sometimes hard to bounce back from. It happens to even the best of us. And I, I know that we owe you a bunch of episodes, but it's something we want to learn from and grow from. Kyle got busy with law school. I got busy because I got some new debate work as well as, you know, mental health struggles and things yes. like that. Yes, sometimes I feel like we kind of get so focused on our own lives, we forget about other obligations and other things in life. Uh, so we are doing our best to balance everything. Um, so we are currently working on different projects for Debatable's future. It just so happens that the past few months have been really rough on us, like, personally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, not not in terms of Nina and I, um, like nagaway kami or something. Like we had a fight that didn't happen. Um, it really it was that a lot of things got in the way, and we always went like we should probably record. But I have been working on like three hours of sleep. Let's not. <laughs> I'm I'm very tired. I'd rather rest. Those kinds of things. And um, some part of me kind of feels guilty about that but at the same time i'm thinking well isn't that precisely why we made that episode about hustle culture to sort of remind other people and also ourselves that you know it's okay to take breaks um so i suppose the the main thing that we got wrong there was that we didn't tell <laughs> we didn't tell anyone that we were going on a break because we were too afraid to admit that we were on a break um but now that we did it we were like okay let's just jump back into it. So for today's episode, I guess it's kind of fitting because, you know, we saw ourselves as sort of the main character we wanted to take care of and we could have gotten that wrong, right? Some people could have seen that as a self-centered move. Some people could have seen it as just us taking care of ourselves. But I think that's all part of the debate, which brings us now to the final motion of Mindanao InterVarsity 2021, which is about the main character syndrome. And if you haven't seen that live stream video or I'm not sure if it's a video or just like a screen share of the Discord server of that finals, I really recommend you watch it. I think it was great. And people had a lot of hugots, you know, like personal stories they wanted to insert and it was all fine and dandy. I was personally part of the adjudication core that made that motion. And I have a lot of thoughts on this and I wanted to bounce it off of Kyle and sort of share it with the audience. So this motion was proposed by JJ from UPLB, primarily by them, and then edits here and there from the rest of the core. But I want to, of course, credit them for the idea and the innovation of this motion. Yeah, so basically, if you're wondering what the main character syndrome is, it's this idea in pop culture where basically the main character syndrome is a trend where people from the youth um, sort of imagine themselves in sort of a romanticized fictional version of their lives. It does not necessarily mean that you're living in a fantasy world. It's just that you're romanticizing like the life that you're living. And I'm sort of expounding on the info slide here a bit because Nina, you and I have had several conversations about like, oh, my life is, I sort of see my life as a sitcom and you see your life as more of a drama. So that's basically sort of the main character syndrome at play. So if you've ever had that sort of conversation with yourself or with other people, that might be a manifestation 
somewhat of the main character syndrome. So this manifests in a lot of ways in the way that people present themselves online or even the way that people view themselves in relation to others. So the motion actually reads, this house would embrace the narrative that individuals are the main characters of their own lives. Yeah, so this is where I want to jump straight into the sort of definitions and framing of the debate. Because while, you know, you could get excited and talk about all the different things already, you, you sort of have to lay out the groundwork. And this is something we teach all of our students. This is something I've been recently teaching my new students at my new job. So I sort of want to explain what this syndrome is, why it's now a thing in the first place, and why I in particular wanted an episode about this. So what is the main character syndrome really? So it's a concept as mentioned by Kyle, popularized by the youth. It's mostly by TikTok Gen Z and millennials, which of which I'm not I'm not part of. I don't know which one I'm part of. Are we millennials or Gen Z? Kyle? I think we're Gen Z. We're Gen Z. Okay, so we're Gen Z. We're part of this trend and all. And it's an affliction where someone acts like and behaves like the world centers around them. Sort of like Carrie from Sex and the City, if you've seen it. Um, I used to I watch know. a lot of it because I, my I don't mom... I know what you're talking about. Like, it's, <laughs> it's in our notes, I'm just like, I don't know what that means. No, so <laughs> when I was younger, my mom would watch a lot of Sex and the City and Desperate Housewives. And there's a lot of main character syndrome going on there. So everyone acts like, oh, even if I cheated, it's okay because I'm the main character and I deserve love and things like that. So, you know, so if... You've seen Carrie from Sex and the City. You know she has major main character syndrome. Like she walks the city of New York. I forgot if it was New York, but she walks and she's all fashionable and she there's a montage play and she feels like everyone's looking at her. You know, so it applies to people Is like that. that. Yeah. Is it also like, you know, whenever you have a reality TV show that's that's a competition of some kind, there's always this one person who goes like, I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to win. I mean, technically, all of them feel like they're the main character, but I think more so that kind of person. You know, so those type of people or every debater when they make post-tournament statuses, Char, I'm part of that. But, you know, we all feel like a main character if we make statuses like that. And basically, main character syndrome as a term is thrown around often ironically or in a weird Twitter humor way to define behavior where someone acts like and maybe even believes that the world essentially serves as a TV series or a TV show about their own lives. So this is characterized by behavior that indicates that everything that happens exists only to further their story or contribute to their own enlightenment and that they feel and understand things with greater clarity than the people around them. So like think about angsty teen uh, stuff as well, you know. So what does it look like? It, it feels like um, you're posting about your walks, you're feeling the energy of a montage, making sure others around you are aware that you're the main character. This was a trend on TikTok. I'm not sure if you're on that part of TikTok. Probably not. You, you're you on different parts of TikTok. Like the humor... You don't want to know what parts of TikTok <laughs> Yeah, so my parts of TikTok, I've seen a lot of these montages. And basically, there are some jokes where like I'm sitting on my balcony with a glass of wine so that everyone in the neighborhood knows I'm the main character of this series, right? And stuff like that. And I know there was a trending TikTok sound about it, and I'll stitch it here. Um, and basically give it a listen life. and, you know, you cultivate your own thoughts about it. As the main character. Because if you don't, life will continue to pass you by. And all the little things that make it so beautiful 
will continue to go unnoticed. So take a second. Yeah, so it's apparently like a very big thing. I didn't know it was something in TikTok. Like until you just said it, I didn't know it was on TikTok. I just thought it was something that people did. I mean, I do realize that recently I have been seeing people going like, I'm the main character or you feel like you're a main character, but you're actually just a supporting character or something like that. I don't know. Um, I have been seeing a lot of it on Twitter, but I didn't know it was part of this bigger trend. I thought people have always thought that kind of thing. And I, I've been thinking like since the middle of the 2010s, there has been some discourse about like, is it okay for you to just realize that you don't have to be the main character? You can be, you know, in a supporting role and still find fulfillment in that. Mm. You don't have to be the prime mover of everything in the universe. So I, I really understand like why this is debatable, especially for those people who kind of take it too far. Um, but as for why this is a thing, I think there has always been this sort of need to see ourselves as the main character. Um, so I have been on this Spider-Man binge recently. Uh-huh. Understandable. <laughs> in, in preparation for No Way Home. And I remember Stanley saying that the the best thing about Spider-Man is that I'm nerding out about Spider-Man, but the best thing about Spider-Man is that he is covered from head to toe. So if you're the audience, you can project yourself onto Spider-Man. You can be a black kid um, and you can imagine yourself to be Spider-Man, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think from a very young age, we have sort of been primed to see ourselves as maybe a main character, but definitely as a being that has the potential to be a main character or a main character type person so it isn't really new um so again in the 80s if, if i remember correctly in the 80s there's something like this as well with the rise of rom-coms or general sitcoms as well as um chick flicks for teenagers that often put an emphasis on um growth in women's lives and this isn't to say that the trend was only applicable to women um, but there seems to be a more unapologetic way of making it seem that way Maybe I'm just being sexist, or maybe the 80s was sexist. I'm not sexist. I'm, so <laughs> I'm the main character. I'm not sexist. Um, maybe um, those sitcoms were made with the intention of trying to make women look narcissistic. I don't think that we'll ever really know what the intent was. But judging from like hindsight, it kind of does seem like that's the effect that it creates. Yeah, so we can't be sure. I think that's part of the debate, right? So, like, looking at the history of the main character syndrome as well as its application in popular culture. But, you know, eventually from the 80s, it sort of faded away. And when I was reading up on this, the main factor, people said, was rapid globalization. So it, it seems weird. Like, why is globalization coming into this? But, you know, when we started getting technology and things like that, people started to see other people's lives and ended up being fueled by things like insecurity and empathy. So two extreme ends of the spectrum, as well as, you know, if you want to be neutral about it, there's general connectedness with people around us. So there are lots of theories for why the trend of the main character presentations faded. 
you know, it could be that just that it went to mainstream and all the hipsters wanted to go against the trend. But there was a period where things seemed to be more people-centric than self-centric. Or, and this is a theory I believe in, we just didn't have the headspace to think about these things anymore. Like, we were too busy with work. We were too busy with, like, the 24-hour news cycles. We were too busy knowing about other people's lives that we sort of let ourselves take the back seat because there are so many more popular people, celebrities, more people in need that seem to deserve the spotlight more than us. Yeah, so I, from what you just said, right, it kind of looks like the pandemic was the perfect um, avenue for this to, for this trend to resurface or, you know, experience a resurgence because the pandemic plus social media is probably one of the main factors for the rise of the main character syndrome again. So social media itself being the second placer. The theory, um, I think, my interpretation of the theory is that the mundane nature of everyday life, especially during the pandemic, has pushed people to be more introspective about their own lives. Like, what am I doing? Am I just like living as a background character? Shouldn't I be living as the main character? So that kind of um, line of thinking. So the boring day-to-day life under the pandemic has made people want to reclaim that everyday everyday life that, that, where nothing really happens. Hmm. Yeah. Um, to reclaim it and be the main characters in whatever genre of TV show that they're in. So Nina, again, you've been saying, you have said before that you, you are in a dystopian mental health drama. And I have said before that I, I really do feel like I'm living in a sitcom. But that might not be because... I see myself as a main character. Like, major disclaimer. Like, when I say that, I mean that I sort of find things generally funny. And I'm not even my favorite character in the sitcom of my life. What? My favorite character is my brother. Oh, He is so funny because he, he does not like me. He does not <laughs> like me. He's funny in the sense that, like, he doesn't want anyone to see him be vulnerable or emotional and it's just like in the morning like could you please pass the ketchup and I'll be like but anyway yeah so y- people are trying to reclaim um the mundaneness of their everyday lives um and on the other hand if you look at social media it also pressures people to do things because everyone else is doing it so why is it that other people are glowing up and I'm not glowing up? Why are these people going to the gym? I'm not going to the gym. How come they learned how to bake sourdough bread? I don't even know how to make a pancake. You know, um, so every everyone is somehow now that girl or that person, that main character. Um, and there's obviously a natural pressure to follow suit. You don't wanna you don't wanna be the person who everyone thinks is the background character in their lives, right? So the less cynical view um, would be that people have just inspired each other. So there's sort of a layer in that debate as to are you pressuring another person or is this tantamount to pressuring other people to do things even if, you know, they should take some time to rest for themselves? Like it doesn't always have to be a self-improvement thing during the pandemic, right? Or is it, you know, one of those things where I'm inspired. I want to better myself because I see other people doing it. And it's, you know, a positive feedback loop. 
So this brings us to debate. Is this a good narrative to have on balance or is it a bad one? Yeah, so let's start with the issues now of the debate. So there are two parts, obviously, that we like segregating our debates into, like a principal part and a pragmatic part. So when we talk about principal justification, I think the main question here is, is your life yours to live? And this is where I want to introduce some concepts that I feel like were not really explored during the debate as much as I wanted it to when I watched it. But I, I still think like everyone touched on it. So it's egocentrism versus altruism and allocentrism. So these are terms that might be familiar to you. Allocentrism might not be. Personally, it was not to me until I researched for this episode. So let's define some terms, right? So what is egocentrism? So it's the inability to differentiate between the self and other. More specifically, it's the inability to accurately assume or understand any perspective other than your own. So being self-centered, thinking that the world revolves around you, that you are the center of the universe and everything happens just for your own progression. So it's very in line with what we've been talking about when we say main character syndrome, right? Altruism, on the other hand, is the principle and moral practice of concern for happiness of other human beings or other animals, resulting in a quality of life, both material and spiritual. So it's sort of selflessness. It's being able to put yourself second, things like that. So what's allocentrism in all of this, right? So I think it's more of a collectivistic personality attribute whereby people center their attention and actions on other people rather than themselves. So it, it, it overlaps a lot with altruism. The only reason they made a differentiation was in the like 1985, but I'll explain that later. I like the, those delineations. I think for me personally, it's sort of confusing. Like, how do you differentiate between egocentrism and egocentric altruism? I, I'm not sure if that's a real thing, but you know, a lot of people act altruistically for egocentric purposes. Yeah, like I will give know, to charity because I'm a good person. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I was going to say like those people, those rich, privileged people um that sort of feel like they're the saviors of poor communities. Um so that and then they post about it on social media. So maybe there is like a sub-level to that where there might be some people who act altruistically but from an egocentric um perspective. Nevertheless, okay, let's talk about egocentrism. Um, because I feel like in debates like these, you need to understand that, you know, you are going to have to defend egocentrism. You have to defend selfishness or self-centeredness. Mm. Um, and, and we have to note here that just because you're um, egocentric does not necessarily mean that you are going to do bad things, right? It does not necessarily mean that you're not going to be empathetic. So a lot of people find, you know, a boost to themselves, to their own egos, the more um, empathetic that they are, right? So there are some people who feel really good about themselves when um, they're told that you're such a good listener. So that kind of thing. So we have to, you know, create that distinction that just because you feel like the main character does not necessarily mean that you have to be you know, a bad person because a lot of main characters, truly, they're not bad guys. Um, so we have to make a principal defense here. Um, 
a philosophical defense that we have talked about in this podcast before is solipsism, which is the idea that it is justified for you to act in your own self-interest because you are not really sure about the existence of other people. Um, so it, it kind of sounds bad right now, but if you break it down, um, the premise here is that you know the idea of existence is that you think, you know that you can think, so you definitely know that you exist. So this is cogito ergo sum, um, I think therefore I am. And this makes sense because you can sort of doubt all of your senses. You can doubt all of your senses, but the fact that you are doubting means that you have a consciousness that is capable of doubting, which means that you exist. You are sure that you exist, but you cannot really perceive it when other people are thinking or if other people are conscious. So as far as you're concerned, all these other people are basically zombies. So this is the actual philosophical concept of a philosophical zombie. Um, they act as if they are thinking, they act as if they are conscious, but you're not really sure about that. The only thing that you're sure of is that you exist. So on a principled or philosophical level, you are justified in acting as if you are the only person existing. Um, but beyond that, there's also a scientific defense for egocentrism, um, wherein actually some scientists actually say that we are born with this sort of main character complex in the form of egocentrism. Um, the world is small. We only know of the world through our own lens. So a child, um, if you're thinking about you know developmental psychology, a child may misattribute the act of their mother reaching to retrieve an object that they point to as a sign that they're the same entity. So if you are like hungry um, as a baby and then your mother brings you food, there might be a situation in which the baby thinks of the mother as acting as an extension of itself instead of it being like as two completely different entities with their respective consciousnesses. Um, according actually to Swiss child psychologist John Piaget, I don't know, um, basta that person, an egocentric child assumes that other people see, hear, and feel exactly the same as the child does. So that's our first exposure as children to the idea of egocentrism. That, you know, um, that notion that if you are feeling something, the rest of the world must be feeling it too. But that actually does change with age. So in early adolescence, David Elkin um, was one of the first to discover the presence of egocentrism in adolescence and late adolescence. So you really do find like these observations about, oh, these teenagers are kind of selfish. Um, but David Elkin argues that for these young adolescents, because of the physiological metamorphosis, so to speak, that they are undergoing, they're primarily concerned with themselves. So this is something akin to a self-defense you know, defense mechanism where they have to really think about themselves because that is the point in time that you know they're going to turn into the people that they'll be for the rest of their lives. Um, so accordingly, because of that, they end up failing to differentiate between what others are thinking about and 
what their own uh, mental states are like, what their own mental preoccupations are. So they assume that other people are as obsessed with his behavior and appearance as he is with himself. So, I, I mean, basically, you and I can probably relate to this, um, where <laughs> we are so like preoccupied with this idea of how other people see us and how we see ourselves. And that might, if you don't really resolve that, it might be very damaging for you, even as an adult, um, which is, I am an adult, like sad to say, I have to consider myself an, as an adult. And I do feel like the, the strains of that notion as well. Yeah. So I, I don't think it stops there, though. So Franken, Frankenberger tested adolescents and adults on their levels of egocentrism and self-consciousness. And they found that egocentric tendencies had extended to early adulthood. And these things still happen even in your middle to adult years, right? So I think that egocentrism, at least in this argument, if you're looking at it scientifically, is normal. But what about the other side of the spectrum that's likely, you know, opposition stands in this debate, right? So that's allocentrism and altruism. So let's talk about the scientific defense of allocentrism. So as I mentioned, allocentrism is sort of the same as altruism and sort of the same as collectivism as well, all of which basically mean the same thing in terms of what we are discussing for today, which is that you aren't the main character. So the term allocentrism was coined by a bunch of scientists back in 1985 to distinguish collectivism from an individual sense of relation to others, which is now what we call allocentrism. So collectivism is more like a group think, but allocentrism is more like I'm an individual doing a group thing, right? So it's more of which perspective you're taking. And I think that distinction is important because while allocentrism is still about others, it's more about your relationship with others. So it's about the, 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 the part you play as an individual in the greater whole. Yeah, so I suppose that'd be like, if you are in a debate society, you would probably be thinking like, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this for my debate society. And a lot of people can probably relate to that. Mm. Or at least I, I relate to that on some level. But anyway, they say that, you know, we primarily have an inclination towards thinking in terms of groups that we are part of. We talked about this before when we talked about in-groups and out-groups. Um, and we did note even then that this is very tribal um, of us as like thinkers, but it's still a tendency that has stayed throughout the years. We identify ourselves based on the groups we're part of and to some extent the groups we're not part of but whether this is a good thing or a bad thing is up for debate but essentially this just means that as a species we're obviously not islands no one can live as an island right we are groups of islands uh archipelagos we're archipelagi (laughs) that form a collective based on our associations with each other that's basically what allocentrism is all about We're archipelagic, basically. (laughs) So what was the point of this first discussion? So the point here is that the origins of each belief have a sort of solid foundation. There are tendencies for people to be both, and some lean towards one side more than the other. People, based on how we are raised and taught, are seen to prefer altruism and collectivism more. But is there really a merit to it, or should we start being selfish again, much like our younger baby selves, right? So I guess this is where we start looking now at the pragmatic arguments. Yeah, so there's obviously a pragmatic implication for this narrative. 
there's obviously a lot of things to say here. So let's have like a back and forth between pros and cons to get a better picture as we move along these discussions. I think the most obvious thing is how does it harm or benefit the way that we view ourselves? Yeah, this is where I, I kind of want to rant a little bit because I've been on that side of TikTok and I, I think it's been harmful for my self-esteem. Like I had to clock out of TikTok a bunch of times because of these trends, right? So the harm is that I think most people who end up using this trend are those with a privileged background that subscribe to a certain look and certain lifestyle. So they're white, they're skinny, they're rich, they have acai bowls every morning and smoothies in the afternoon. It's acai. Uh, sorry, it's acai bowls or whatever. See, I can't even acai. pronounce it right. I am so not main character. So we have a tendency to compare ourselves to them and see them as the main character because that's what they're projecting. They're the main characters of the lives, right? I didn't know it was supposed to apply to everyone. I thought that, you know, if there are main characters, obviously, that means you have to be main character material. And yeah, you might say, you're a different kind of main character for a different thing. But the thing is, if everyone's a main character, then no one will be, right? So very syndrome of me, if you've seen Incredibles. But, you know, if everyone is a main character, how can how can anyone be? So that, that's the case, right? So there's an implicit hierarchy created by this trend and a sense of otherization happens. So I am Morena. I'm, I'm paler than most Morenas, but I'm still Morena. I am from a... Um, developing country, I cannot afford acai bowls or whatever acai is. I, I'm struggling with my mental health, so I have no idea what being a main character is like. Maybe that's a main character thing, you know, you have to be depressed. I don't know, but basically there's this trend that you have to go on daily walks, have a luxurious house, romanticize how you open your curtains each day. And I, I don't have curtains to open, like Kyle's bit in my house, when you open my curtain, you just see the other building. It's not very main character view like Bella Swan during that period where she was just staring out her window. Yeah, that's my rant. Yeah, but <laughs> by the way, acai is a small edible blackish purple berries of a South American palm tree. So I don't know. Uh, I thank you. It. I Googled it. <laughs> but yeah, um, I definitely see where you're coming from that. Um, because you're made to compare yourself with another, you are, you end up feeling that there are certain characteristics that make you main character, and if you're not that, then you end up feeling less than. Um, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that trend on TikTok? Like, put your finger down, main character edition, right? So, like, put your oh, finger no, down. No. I kind of want to do it now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we could if I could find it. But like, basically the first one, so the funniest one was a guy did it. And the first one is, put your finger down if you have low flowing black hair. <laughs> he was just like, what? Anyway, that's all. Um, so I, I think like that sort of plays into a stereotype as to who the main character syndrome mm-hmm. is about. Like, it is mostly geared towards a certain kind of woman um, or a man with long flowing black hair or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. But um, maybe as a you know contrary view to that, maybe instead of feeling insecure, you might see this trend as a way to highlight quirks and differences that you might have. So um, you could say, you know, the syndrome argument, like if everyone's super, 
or if everyone's the main character, <laughs> no one will be. Thanks but, for adding the laugh, you know. <laughs> but that's not true, right? I don't think that that's true because um, it wasn't really highlighted in The Incredibles and that's a philosophical failing on Brad Bird's part or mm-hmm. on the part of Pixar. But it's just not true like that no one can be the main character if everyone is the main character. Because, like, you have guest appearances in, in other TV shows, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not the main character in your own TV show. Like, it's like saying that in the MCU, no one can be a main character in the MCU, even if you have your own solo movie, just because you're in a crossover movie, right? So I don't really think that that's, um, like, the correct argument. I, I, I don't know. It's the correct argument, but I don't find myself convinced that it's true. But actually, I do think that you can highlight your quirks and differences. So you can say that, you know, there are lots of movies where the main character opens the curtain and it's just it's just like a piss poor view outside. But that does not invalidate your main character status. In fact, like if you if it is a rags to riches kind of movie, that is where you start at. So you can feel like you are the main character in your own story. You can also differentiate yourself in terms of like um, your mental state. Like if you like Nina, you were saying earlier that it is a mental health related drama. You can differentiate yourself in terms of the way you look or, you know, uh, how you act, your demeanor. So just because you do not conform to those things, you can still consider yourself to be a main character. Um, But even if even if you do have this comparison, you can still say that comparison does have its benefits if you want to see yourself in a positive light despite your differences or in a positive light because of your differences. Um, So most people who subscribe to this trend would see themselves as feeling more empowered because of this main character syndrome. And why should we invalidate that, right? If you are given a platform to see your life in a new, energetic, loving light then it shouldn't be a problem so obviously there might be situations where you have a main character and as a result they just become incredibly toxic like you pick you pick the sitcom uh you, you pick the tv show and it ended up being riverdale so you end up being toxic i don't know i just don't like riverdale but um in most cases you can probably say that there's a newfound appreciation for the mundane things in your life, like your routines, your walks, whatever. And if you are in a pandemic or if you're, you know, socially isolated, that might be something that you need to hold on to in order to, you know, create meaning within your life. I was about to correct you and be like, we're all in a pandemic. And then I realized other countries have already moved on and it's just us that's in this situation, you know, <laughs> and I got sad. <laughs> anyway, and- yeah, so that that's one part of the debate, right? And another part would probably be the limitation and prescription part versus the growth and individualism part. So there are some harms here as well that I'd like to highlight. So there is something called the copycat syndrome. I think we've discussed this before in an episode about mass shootings, right? But I think it applies here to a less severe degree. So you might lose your individualism if you subscribe to what popular media or influencers are telling you um, in terms of what being the main character is like. 
And this is dangerous in a way that it strips people of individualism and makes them want to strive for a way that live, of living that is completely different from theirs or their comfort zone capacities. Like, oh, every main character now lives in the, the forest or something, but I prefer living in a city, but I'm not going to be a main character unless I move, right? So there might be some individuals that see it that way. Um, like, oh, I need to live and do yoga every day, which I'm trying to do, by the way, but it isn't because of main character syndrome. But, you know, like there is that pressure to post about it. There is that pressure to like have the correct gear, look a certain way. So we may not also be sure what a main character is technically, right? Because as you mentioned, there's so many different factors and genres in life movies. So if it's a drama, it's probably not healthy to put yourself in the middle of situations always, but because you see yourself as the center of attention and drama, you might actively place yourself in situations that stress you out because you see it as just another character arc or another chapter for you to overcome. If it's a coming-of-age film, one might think that teenage rebellion is always good and makes you the quirky and main character, right? So there are tendencies for you to copy parts of movies that seem endearing but might not be the most peaceful or positive route for you in life yeah what's an example of that that happened to you like you copied something from from something like you wanted to be this particular main character and you ended up just being a dick like what what example of that did you do yeah you know how i i when i was younger like i really liked teen titans and there i i wanted to be like either Raven or Starfire, it made no sense. And now I'm bipolar, right? So <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I wanted to be both Starfire and Robin. Maybe I, uh, I Raven, right? Sorry, Raven. And like they're they're like complete ends of the spectrum. I wanted to be bubbly and quirky and lovable. I also wanted to be brooding and dark. And now I'm both at the same time at different intervals of the year. So I don't think that was healthy for me at all. Yeah, when <laughs> when I was a kid, the worst. I mean, like, the worst main character that you could think of um, for a child to emulate is probably, like, one of those really edgy anime where the antagonist is the main character. Um, so, in my case, it was like Yagami from Death Note. So oh, I was, no. I was freaking, like, God complex. You know, criminals deserve to die. Duterte-level stuff. But I suppose, like, people do think that they look at Duterte and he, they go like, oh, he's the main character, definitely in his own life. I should try to emulate him. Um, that mm, really raises the stakes for next year's election. So, <laughs> Vote in 2022. Vote in 2022. When I, when, when I made this Zoom meeting, and I sent the link to Nina, by the way, um, I customized the password months ago, and I just realized it again tonight that the password for the Zoom meeting is vote in 2022. I don't know why. It's like, of course I'm going to vote in 2022. Um, but it never hurts to remind myself of the stakes that, that we have for this next election. Regardless of who you're supporting, I think the general consensus is that we need to be able to vote in this election. So anyway. yeah, and sometimes it's very dangerous. Um, if, you know, <laughs> if you are going to get the characteristics from a main character who is just a bad person, then that is where it might be very problematic for you to have the main character syndrome. 
Well, on the other hand, though, one might argue this isn't limiting but freeing, you know, because they can adopt healthy habits for themselves like main characters do, like waking up early to drink a protein shake. Kyle and I have been discussing with each other at four in the morning because I wake up at four in the morning. So I feel like that's, I mean, that's that's healthy or not, depending on what time you think a healthy wake up is. I mean, for Kyle, it's not healthy because he he stays up all night to reach me at 4 a.m. So we're operating on different um, timelines here. But basically, right. So I've been adopting healthier habits. I've been walking daily. So it might allow people to see themselves in a new perspective and adopt new habits for themselves that main, main characters have that is, you know, objectively good for your health. So at least from my observations, it has allowed people to also see hope in themselves, seeing as, you know, their current problems are just hurdles for the main character to pass through and not necessarily the bulk of the story. So if something tragic happens in their lives, it's easier for them to pick themselves up and to see that, okay, this was bad. I'm just going to go through this because this was the climax of the story. And then, you know, this chapter will end and I'll have a better start to the next one. Going back again, we talk, I talked about, you know, a God complex that might be created. Um, so another issue here is, does it feed a God complex or does it humble someone? Does it humble the self? Um, so as for the harms, I already talked about that, um, the extreme versions of those harms, which is like you idolize like Tegami or Bojack Horseman or something like incredibly toxic. And you're like, I'm the main character. I'm an alcoholic, stuff like that. I never take responsibility for my actions. Um, and I feel bad about it, but I don't do anything to change my situation in life. Maybe that is what you get. Um, and that's one of the more extreme examples. Like you idolize Joker, you idolize these really I bad know. people. Um, like those are extreme examples, you might think. But it's more common actually than than what is implied in the debate land. you know. But at the same time, you can find, I suppose, a more general way to argue this like it doesn't have to be that extreme the main thing that you could have for all these cases is you know fueling a sense of narcissism so psycho so there's a psychologist named um michael wetter who told the daily mail that the main character syndrome is an inevitable consequence of the natural human desire to be recognized and validated merging with a rapidly evolving technology that allows for immediate and widespread self-promotion, that is, social media. So there are two parts of this, again. So there's this natural desire to be validated, to be seen. Um, so you can actually see that in even the most wholesome of movements, like you are valid, your feelings are valid, um, we don't want to invalidate your identities, those kinds of, um, that kind of rhetoric, right? But if you couple that with some aspects of social media that can exacerbate like really toxic stuff, then that might lead to the main character syndrome. And that might be very harmful because you are encouraging people to nurture a sort of God complex to, instead of humbling the self, it might lead you to want to have more validation. And in order to do that, you validate yourself first. And that might be toxic. But on the other hand, I think you can also kind of say that you are ending up humbling yourself because as you said, 
you end up really comparing yourself to another person. If you compare yourself to another person, that is really humbling because um, you're seeing other people in the context of their own lives. So th- I don't think that this is something that we really touched upon because there is a, a term in German. I-, I don't know. I don't remember what that term is, but it's the realization that you get when you realize that everyone that you meet has incredibly full lives that they're leading on their own that has nothing to do with you. So in this debate, you can probably say that it's very humbling to see other people in that light. Um, uh, in F. Scott Fitzgerald said that, well, I'm cultured. <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald said that, you know, it is the inexhaustible nature of life. Like life is inexhaustible. Um, so that might be something that you can see um, as a result of thinking that I might be the main character in my own story, but so is that other person. So is that other person. So you might end up being more empathetic. You might be more humble because of that. The word you're looking for, by the way, is sonder. So it's like the realization that everyone else has their own story and like a full background of lives they're living and stuff. Yeah, I Googled yeah, so that it, too. Yeah, I can Google too, <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> so it, it might be humbling as well. So there, there are pros and cons for that. But you can rebut it. Like my argument was that it makes you more empathetic, right? But there is also a possible harm here, which is that in, I'm sorry to say that in a lot of abusive relationships, not necessarily romantic relationships. It may be platonic relationships or familial relationships, but the main character syndrome um, and alongside it, the notion that other people are the main characters as well might lead to too much empathy to the point that you might end up becoming a doormat. And you, you once told me that I was basically a doormat. And at the time, the, the abuser that I had... Um, I'm not going to give like identifying um, details and I hope that, you know, you respect this, not just Nina, but also like the people who are listening to this episode, if ever the abuser was telling me about their life story. And of course I, you know, the main character in my own story and recognizing that they're also the main character in their own story. I wanted to be the kind of main character um, with heroic traits of like being empathetic doesn't give up on people, doesn't give up on anyone, you know, like Spider-Man. Um, but at the same time, because I recognize that they have their own life story, whenever they did something that was pretty bad to me, I sort of rationalized it using the context that they gave me from their own life. So I was like, oh, because they went through so-and-so, such-and-such, it's justifiable for them to act or understandable for them to act in a certain way. And as a result, it was damaging for all the parties involved. Like, I'm not going to say that um, I was not free from wrongdoing because in a certain sense, um, in a certain sense, I, I could have been more diligent. I could have, you know, um, understood that I might be being taken advantage of, but that's them's the breaks, right? And the thing with abuse is, it has this way of using the characteristics that you most are proud of in yourself. 
you know, un- being understanding, being empathetic, being loving, not giving up on other people and using it against you. And it doesn't really hit you immediately like a lightning bolt. Sometimes it's like, um, as Abigail Thorne said, sometimes it's like the poison that you take every day and you don't notice it until you are unable to move um, and then you're paralyzed and you're dying already. So mm, on that very happy note, <laughs> Mm. I'm pretty sure that there are benefits to this as well because otherwise it wouldn't be that debatable. Well, I, I kind of feel like it's hard to follow up what you just said, but I, I guess I'm just going to read what we wrote here. It's that, you know, some level of narcissism and delusion is actually pretty healthy. And a lot of scientists agree with this. Like, it's not good to always be, as Kyle mentioned, you know, empathetic and stuff. So um, there is some level of delusion needed, especially during COVID-19. Like you have to believe and have to be hopeful that things will be better. You have to believe that, you know, one day you'll be able to go out without a mask. That That's just what we need to believe in in order to stay sane. So allowing life to pass you by might not be a good thing too. And as Kyle said, allowing others to step on you because you see yourself as a side character might not be healthy for you either. So if you're too much of a main character you get stepped on. If you're too much of a side character, you get stepped on as well. So there needs to be a healthy balance between the two. And I feel like that's the difficulty of living life right now. How how do you view yourself in relation to others? Because I think, you know, sadly, this debate is very black and white, right? You're either the main character or you believe in some collectivism or altruism that exists, right? And it's difficult. It's kind of like soft lining it if you argue that, oh, you can be both at the same time. But you know, personally, I believe you should be both at the same time. And this is me speaking not as a debater, but as an individual now. Like, I believe, you know, you should have a healthy dose of both. Yeah, there are, there are definitely limits to, you know, debating as, as an activity. Because it really, when you're debating and you have to take that stance that you have to be black and white, uh, you have to be either or, it really clarifies a lot of pragmatic and principled discussions. But practically speaking, outside of the debate room, you can't be either or, except in certain instances. Like, there's no either or. Like, you're either a Nazi or not a Nazi, right? Um, you're, you're either racist or not racist. And in real life, it is not as simple as, you know, there are pros and there are cons. You have to take one side. You have to really see, like, <laughs> be in the middle somewhere, but what the perfect golden mean, as Aristotle would say, um, is up is up to debate then. <laughs> it's not going to be a clean debate, but it is certainly something that is up to debate, what the golden mean ought to be. Um, so I think in general, there are just so many, so many factors, too many in fact to consider. And the general rule to win a debate about this is to prove why why one side is more likely going to yield particular benefits or particular harms than the other um, in in terms of how an individual might feel or how an individual might act. Yeah. So I, I guess the last thing I want to discuss before we wrap this episode up, because it ended up um, quite longer than I expected. I guess we have a lot of feelings about being main characters or side characters, you know? <laughs> um, basically, yeah, yeah. So basically... I think it's also about how we view society. So one, the first part basically was about viewing the self in relation to everything. But the next is how we interact with society. And this is also pragmatic, right? 
I think that a big chunk of this debate is going to be about selfishness versus selflessness. Like, do you prioritize yourself? Do you give back to others? Is that good? Is that bad? You know, details of which we can go into, but I think it's a pretty common argument that a lot of people already know. So apathy versus empathy here, I think, is the biggest um, like chunk of the clash. So, for example, in terms of economic issues, do we um, prioritize our own self-growth in a capitalist world or should we always give back to others, right? There are, are so many layers to this. And I feel like if you're a debater, there's so many things to discuss that's nitty gritty. Um, Kyle and I just spent a lot of time on the principle because that's honestly what we enjoy. But, you know, I, I think in terms of economic issues, you could argue that um, on one hand, focusing on yourself is necessary, right? Because you only really live to see your own life through fruition. Like you get to see your growth. You're the one who suffers first. But you could also argue that your privilege and your ability to be a main character actually means you have to give back. And you should give back because it will help more people. So this is very utilitarian of you, very maximalist. But I guess that that's just really part of the debate. Yeah, on the other hand, you can talk about like environmental issues as well. Like are you doing, if you're doing something for your own you know, self-benefit, you are probably going to do things that might not be good for the collective in terms of the environment. So one example that I came across actually just before we started recording was this whole discussion about um was this whole discussion about should you compost your own food waste um instead of um paying someone to take it to the landfill. So apparently the more that you use food waste, the, the more that you send it to the landfill, the more methane that it creates. And it's actually the third um, leading cause of climate change. But there's also like a, a part of that debate that says, yeah, that's true. But at the same time, why should we as individuals have to bear that burden of composting for ourselves when it's actually like these big corporations um, especially, I think, those corporations that manufacture food. You have probably seen some videos about like how they determine what kind of food, what kind of produce gets into the grocery stores. Apparently, a lot of it is wasted just because they don't look nice. They don't look as nice as that other lemon next to it. So as a result, a lot of it ends up being food waste. A lot of it ends up being wasted. So why should we as individuals have to bear the brunt when other people um, are doing more bad things? So you are thinking like a main character there, that it's not really your fault, right? But if you're thinking in terms of collectivism, if you're thinking in terms of the community, then even if it's not your fault, you still have the responsibility to contribute at least that much to the community, to the environment, right? I, I suppose like there might be some way to argue this on like the lens of politics but i think nina you might have a better grasp on how to do this yeah i think it 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 compiles itself into bigger things from small actions right like why should i vote when i'm just one individual that's not gonna really change society like that's thinking like you know a main character but you could also argue that because you think like a main character that's exactly why I'm going to vote. Like my vote is going to be the significant vote that's going to turn the election around, right? So I think 
political issues can be argued either way, right? And I think that, again, like Kyle mentioned, it's about proving why your side is more likely to achieve that outcome. So that's one sense, right? Voting. Another would be in terms of actual political action. Like, should you be an activist and go out in the street and protest something? The main character in you might say, yes, of course, you know, I want to be seen. I want to be, I want to project. I want to display that I advocate for good causes, but that might not be for good reason. That might not be a good reason at all, right? You're you're just projecting your, what, what do you call that term? There's a term for it, right, Kyle? When you're sort of just pro- projecting your political beliefs for the sake of saying you're better than others. Oh, um, virtue signaling, right? Yeah. That's what <laughs> woke, woke people, all they know how to do is virtue signal like that. Yeah, so you you could argue that virtue signaling is something main characters do, but you could argue that you generally, genuinely um, believe in it, right? So that, that could be the case. There's also in terms of political issues that like concern so many other people like black lives matter you know oh oh my god i want to rant about this a little bit i don't know if it fits but i'll rant about it um have you oh you don't have an instagram man you don't have you're not in the same spaces as i am kyle it's hard to talk to you about some things (laughs) Um, oh you can try you can try no i think you've seen it on twitter do you know the whole um share if you believe rape is bad i can see who skips Oh yeah, I did see some discourse about it on Twitter, but I was like, um, yeah, this is obviously problematic. I don't really know the the details, but considering how one-sided the debate is, I didn't feel the need to inquire more into the details because I just expected it would get it like it would just pass like really, really quickly because it wasn't really debatable. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many times it showed up in my feed, though. Like, I have friends from high school and even college that have shared the post and are really serious about, you know, I'm going to check if you're not good enough. Like, oh, I'm better than you because I believe rape is bad. And I, I think it's hilarious, but also sad that people have to go to that extent. And I still feel like that's part of um, either the pressure that comes with trying to be a main character or, you know, being part of a collective so again you could argue it either way right so collectivism has gone too far or individualism has gone too far that you feel the need to post something like that but i feel like there's also cultural issues here and by cultural i mean stuff like you know the way we view race the way we view indigenous individuals so so i i kind of want to ask your take on this Kyle, because you've done more like objectively i feel like you've done more studies on these things compared to me well, in terms of indigenous people's rights, um, there is this tendency to think of um, human rights as something that's for individuals, right? So, oh, this is this is actually the perfect way for you to plug that you might have episodes where me and my classmates from human rights um, theory and practice class, we, we just talk about human rights. That, that's part of our like final project but i was like "Mm, okay fine let's take it a podcast (laughs) um yeah so we have this notion that human rights are exclusive for individuals it's for individuals right so that's a very western notion of human rights because some of you may know that we have this universal declaration of human rights that, that all people um have um but that in itself, is not really binding. It's not a treaty, right? Only treaties are binding. 
Um, but the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was transformed into two treaties. Um, the first treaty is the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. That is the kind of right that you're thinking about when you're looking at the individualistic sense of the right, the Western idea of what it means to have rights, like freedom of speech, freedom of religion, um, life, something like that. Um, but on the other hand, there was a huge debate about this, um, especially from more socialist-leaning countries in, in Asia at the time. Um, you have economic, social, and cultural rights which are not geared towards an individual specifically, but a lot of them are geared towards um, communities. So it's not really like, you know, individual freedoms um, or quote-unquote negative rights, the, the, the freedom from government intervention, but it's also like the ability to um, have empowerment. But there's also a third generation of rights, which, which are called collective rights. And... So, for example, the right to um, uh, the protection of your particular culture as a whole, not, you know, your individual cultural practices, but like the culture as a whole. That is a collective right that is, you know, a new kind of right is now just now um, recently being recognized by the international community. So in terms of cultural issues, if you bring it back, I feel like I did a huge tangent. If you bring it back to the main character syndrome. Um, what you can see here is that if we view um, things solely from an individualistic or main character perspective, we do tend to lose a lot of um, these bigger collective rights and, and struggles. And that includes um, race struggles, that includes class struggles. So you can see um, this sort of bleeds into everything else, else that you've talked about. Um, whenever you see like a really rich person going like, you just need to hustle and you will succeed. And a lot of people say that that's problematic because you're not taking into account that other people do not have the privilege to do that kind of hustle. That is you letting your um, main character syndrome obfuscate or prevent you from really seeing more collective issues that might prevent other people from taking the same main character choices that you have made. So that applies to indigenous peoples, that applies to race issues, that applies to economic issues, like political issues, environmental issues as well. Um, well, in short, let's study more about human rights. Let's study more about collective rights. Um, I think we've talked about a lot of things for this episode. It might have been more than an hour already. Um, but I think that's it for this episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you in the next one, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.